Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome again. Welcome back to those of you who joins us, joined us for the first hour of Mornings with Carmen today. And welcome to those of you who are just joining us now. Uh, yesterday, last night, was the Super Bowl for those of you who, I don't know, are living somewhere uh, in a disinterested way because your team was not involved. I grew up in Tampa, so uh, I was pretty excited to um, watch Tampa host the Super Bowl and then the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. So, yes, I know I have people uh, grieving this morning who are listening in Kansas City, but I also know we have listeners in the uh, in the Hartford, Connecticut area listening on 94.1 FM and AM 1290 who are just as excited as I am because Tom Brady um, is still very much their guy, too. All right. um, Let me uh, let me give a little shout out to this is going to sound strange, but Toyota and Jeep. Because I think that they won the night in terms of advertisements that were worth watching and certainly worth lifting up in in our conversations today. So if you are um, if you're looking for something positive to point to, you won't find it in the halftime show. <clears throat> That's all I'll say about that. Um, but Toyota's ad, which came very early in the game, featured Paralympic swimmer uh, Jessica Long. She was born in Siberia. Her legs were amputated uh, before she was adopted by an American family. Uh, And the way that her story is told in the in the advertisement is it will truly you will you will think to yourself, first of all, you don't know it's a Toyota ad until the very end. But you are going to think to yourself, um, some pro-life organization across the country made this ad. Uh, I don't know how they made it. I don't know how they could possibly have afforded this kind of time during uh, Super during the Super Bowl to run an ad. But you're going to think to yourself. That's a pro-life ad. That's the most pro-life story I have seen encapsulated in a really short movie, because that's basically what the ad is, a really short movie about Jessica Long's life. It's totally worth going, finding, and watching on the Internet today. Um, So you're looking for uh, the Toyota ad during the Super Bowl. You could just Google Jessica Long. Um, Really, really extraordinary. And then late in the game, there was a much-anticipated ad featuring Bruce Springsteen. Um, now, wh- however you feel about Bruce, Sting- brings Bruce Springsteen from a musical standpoint or from a political standpoint, just hit the pause button and consider the middle. Consider the middle, because uh, most of us live in the middle of the country, and most of us are concerned about um, centrist conversations in getting to a place where we can talk with one another again. So just Think for a moment about the middle. The whole ad is about the middle. Again, you don't know it's a Jeep ad till the very end. Uh, it was filmed in literally the middle of America, Kansas, Colorado, and Nebraska, to be precise. It calls us uh, to ourselves and to one another. And it ends with this notion, the reunited states of America. Now, I think that provides good fodder for those of us who want to take seriously God's calling, that we should serve as ministers of reconciliation And so what would it look like today for you to become, I don't know, interested in 
the reunited states of America. We have certainly been enduring seasons of deep division, and we can either be people who continue to divide and divide and divide, or we can be people who start seeking to be reconciled and to be ministers of reconciliation. So there you go. There was also a ministry event on Saturday morning hosted by our brother in Christ, Benjamin Watson, uh, and our brother, Tony Dungy. Demario Davis uh, was honored with the Bart Starr Award. If you haven't seen coverage related to that Super Bowl um, breakfast event on Saturday morning, or you haven't read the coverage related to Demario um, and Tamela, uh, the Davis family, let me encourage you to do so. And as a matter of prayer, lift up their youngest child um, who is uh, continuing to suffer with uh, with retinal cancer. And so that is a matter of of prayer. Their witness and testimony in the midst of the diagnosis of their daughter, their witness and testimony as ambassadors of Christ in the world today, they are worth praying for and knowing as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's Demario and uh, Tamala Davis, and um, he plays for the mm-hmm, the Saints. Yep. All right. There you go. That's uh, that's from the. Those are going to be the uh, headlines today in in Carmen's version. Um, of the sports page. There you go. Matt, Matthew Sorens is back uh, from World Relief, from the Evangelical Immigration Table, because since we talked very, very recently at the end of last week, major headlines related to raising the refugee cap. Uh, he and I want to talk about, uh, want to talk about that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. All right, Matthew Sorens was just here uh, recently, but I immediately needed to turn around and have him come back uh, because the Biden administration is raising the cap on refugees who will be welcomed here into the United States of America. And so we needed to talk about this story. We needed to talk about activating churches um, in terms of this. So, Matt, welcome back. Yeah, glad to be back. Okay, let's differentiate again. Um, I know that you and I do this every time we talk, but it's really essential because there's different people listening every time we talk. Differentiate um, the immigration conversation, uh, what's going on at the southern border, from the conversation we are about to have about people who are uh, globally called refugees. Yeah, so refugees are a very distinct subcategory of immigrants in general. So immigrants are just people from one country who go to another. But what defines a refugee legally under U.S. law and international law is it is a person who is outside of their country of origin, who is unwilling or unable to return to their country because specifically of a well-founded fear of persecution. And that persecution has to be on account of their race, religion, political opinion, national origin, or social group. So that's a lot of legal language, but it's really important to get the distinction because there's lots of compelling reasons that people might leave their countries, but uh, a refugee is specifically someone who's fled because of persecution. And by the time we're talking about someone as a refugee in the U.S., it's because the United States government has identified them overseas. Our government has interviewed them overseas, um, often several times, in a process that takes somewhere between 18 months and two years in most cases, and has then you know, put them on an airplane. They actually get a loan that they repay for their flights. And they have been invited to come to the United States. So it's, you know, there's important conversations about what's happening at the border or, 
you know, people who migrate for other reasons. But this is a distinct process that's very orderly and also very longstanding. Um, our legal basis for this goes back at least to the 1980 Refugee Act. Okay, so talk with us about um, how refugees are resettled here in the United States. Talk about refugee resettlement programs like the one um, that we're familiar with from World Relief, um, and then talk about how those need to be rebuilt um, right now. Sure. So um, there's a unique dynamic with refugee resettlement in that these families are not just taken to the United States and told to fend for themselves. And I think that's actually a really positive thing. The U.S. government for many years has worked with nonprofit organizations, primarily faith-based nonprofit organizations like World Relief, which was founded by the National Association of Evangelicals uh, shortly after World War II. And they've basically told us, you know, we, we'll do the part of deciding who is a refugee and who gets to come to the United States. You'll take over the moment they arrive. And even a few days before they arrive, because you need to have an apartment set up, you need to have, you know, basic furniture. And for World Relief, at least, and I know this is true for our peer organizations, which are, you know, Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services or um, the Catholic Church is the largest of the resettlement agencies. But um, certainly for World Relief, our mission is not just to resettle that refugee, but to empower the local church. So we're working to find um, furniture from people from churches and ideas for housing. And um, most importantly, volunteers, um, ideally a team of people who will come alongside that family, uh, presuming they, they would like volunteers, which they very, very, very rarely decline, because most people are really eager to have some friends when they land in a new place. And that we, you know, our, our staff, as well as that team from a church or, you know, volunteers will walk alongside that family as they get acclimated to life in a totally new place with a new language and, you know, very quickly needing to find work because we're able to help them with housing for usually three months, um, roughly, but they need to find a job and be economically self-sufficient very quickly. So that's the main focus, obviously getting kids into school. And in terms of rebuilding that, one dynamic under the Refugee Act is that the, the number of refugees um, can fluctuate based on the, a presidential determination. So the historic norm for the refugee ceiling, the maximum number of refugees, is somewhere on 95,000 since the Refugee Act of 1980. Uh, in the last few years, it's been much, much lower than that. The fiscal year that began last October, it was set at a historic low of 15,000. So the effect of that on the resettlement infrastructure, if you will, is frankly, we had too many World Relief Refugee Resettlement Programs around the country for the very, very few refugees that were being sent to us. And at the same time, part of our budget was based on a grant from the State Department. And that part of our budget went dramatically down because it was a per-refugee grant. So we had to close eight of our offices nationally at World Relief. So we're down to about 15 now. Uh, we are still in um, 15 locations, uh, including in the Twin Cities through Arrive Ministries. Um, but even in those locations, our staffing is pretty significantly reduced. And so now with the news that we'll be resettling more refugees in the coming year and years, hopefully, um, we'll, we're eager to begin rebuilding and looking to local churches, both in our existing locations and probably in some new locations as well, to say, where do we have churches that want to help welcome people? And at the same time, I should say, you know, there's a lot of work that we know we have to do to help address some of the misconceptions that you alluded to. Uh, including within churches. People hear refugees and some people say, what an amazing opportunity to serve people in the name of Jesus. And others, people's first reaction to hearing refugees is, what a terrible idea. Why would anyone bring those people to our country? And how do we protect ourselves? And we really think that that's probably not the right reaction um, from a Christian perspective, nor really from the perspective of the, fa the data in terms of you know, any threat from refugees is very, very minimal. 
But we understand that those you know, concerns are fairly widespread, and it's a very divisive issue even within the church these days. So we want to help um, provide facts to people and introduce them to refugees themselves, because in my experience, getting to know these people, many of whom are brothers and sisters in Christ, can be very transformative for how people think about this as an issue. Yeah, I just want to um, say, say to you, if you're listening right now, and your first reaction when you hear that the United States is uh, raising the cap on refugee resettlement, if your first reaction to that is, um, we don't want those people here, then you're the person that I want to talk to personally today. Um, so send me a text at 877-933-2484 or send me an email, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com, because I would love to have a personal conversation with you um, about that uh, about that topic, about that heart. So when we come back, Matthew and I are going to talk about specifically um, what churches can do, and I'm going to ask him to tell us some stories. How does refugee resettlement really change people's lives? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The work of World Relief encompasses uh, responding to disasters around the world, extreme poverty, violence, oppression, human trafficking, and then the topic that we're talking about today uh, related to refugees, immigrants, and displaced people. You can find World Relief at worldrelief.org. Um, talk with us, Matt, about what um, what churches can do. Like, how does a church... And when I say that, see, that even sounds, compl- that even sounds complex. So, you know, I'm one person. Um, I am a member of a congregation. Uh, my congregation is engaged in our community on this topic. Um, but what if I'm a person who either doesn't know what my church is doing uh, or whether or not they're engaged? I mean, like, how do I how do I like start fomenting this conversation in my own faith community? Yeah, it's a great question. And I should say first, you know, we have lots of opportunities for individual volunteers, um, you know, who are from a church, but, you know, they may not be being sent to us by their church. But we also really do value the, the institution of the local church. And one of the reasons is, you know, we find that it's, it's more sustainable, you know, to welcome a, a family when it's not just one volunteer, but a team of volunteers who know each other. It's often a small group or, you know, people who are, we call it a good neighbor team in most of our world relief, who will come alongside this family as a team. And we also find it's really helpful for them to be supported by their pastor, by their leadership, who is, you know, providing a biblical foundation from the pulpit for why this is part of the mission of the church and consistent with with the mission God has given us. So, um, you know, I would encourage people to reach out to your pastor, or if it's a bigger church, maybe it's a missions pastor or a local outreach pastor, and say, hey, are we doing anything on refugees? You might be surprised to find out you already are. Um, sometimes, you know, especially at larger churches, one part of the body doesn't know what the other part's doing. But, um, you know, and if you're not, and if there's, you know, we have resources at World Relief, we would love to talk to people and point people to, you know, theologically and missiologically. This is why we really believe in this as a ministry. Respond to some of the questions that people will have. And, you know, as I said, a lot of people are have heard things on, uh, not on this radio show, but maybe on other radio programs or on certain television programs that were a little bit scary about refugees. Um, they're often not either not fully accurate or not really accurate at all. So getting the facts in terms of the vetting process that refugees have gone through, the economic questions, the, you know, even those legality questions, like there's important questions about legal status with some immigrants. Refugees, that's not really an issue. They're all here lawfully invited by our government. So I think, you know, we are really eager to help pastors and leaders and, and lay people address some of those questions 
and figure out what the next step is for them. Whether that's, well, we're going to go all in. Our, our, we're we're going to have a team welcome a, a family as they arrive. And I will say, we do expect those numbers to increase. Right now, we still don't have high numbers of refugees arriving. We, will, we hope to see that in the coming months sort of rebuild. Um, but there's always other opportunities to prepare. So maybe it's a furniture drive or um, you know, doing a drive of kits for uh, household items like you know, dishes and um, cleaning supplies, those sort of things, pillows, sheets, all those things. And maybe it's just preparing our hearts by doing a, a sermon series on what is God's, what does the, the word of God tell us about vulnerable foreigners? Um, I think that's actually where we would love for most churches to start with that discipleship process to prepare us for how do we think about this idea of refugees? You know, what is there in the Bible that might apply to our contemporary situation? All right, so Matt, you're going to, um, I, I hope, find this very, very encouraging. Um, we have a listener who uh, not only heard the, heard one of the conversations that I either had with you or Jenny uh, about, about your book, um, and remind people of the title, um, since I don't have it right in front of me. Sure. So our, actually, there's a couple of books. One is Welcoming the Stranger um, with Jenny Yang, my colleague, and it's really on immigration generally. There's definitely some things in re- on refugees there. And we actually, a couple of years before that, did a book with some other colleagues, Stephen Bowman and Isam Smear for Moody Publishers called Seeking Refuge, which is very specifically about the global refugee crisis and then the U.S. refugee resettlement process from a Christian perspective. So I think that we were having a conversation about welcoming strangers, and this, uh, this listener actually received a copy of the book. She and her husband read it together. Um, and they are now in very, very significantly engaged in this conversation in their local community in Kansas City. And I just right. wanted to pass that along to you because, you know, like there are real outcomes to the conversations mm-hmm. that we have here. People are provoked um, to to go and to seek out what, what God is doing in their own local community and actually engage. And so I um, want to be of encouragement to you. Thank you for bringing us this information today. And thank you for the ways in which you're mobilizing the church um, on this on this particular front. We really genuinely appreciate it. Well, I'm so glad to do it. Thank you for that very encouraging story. That's why we keep at it. Amen. Amen. That's Matthew Sorens. You can find him at World Relief. You can also find him at the Evangelical Immigration Table. We'll be right back. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, we are reminded by by Paul that we are um, to shine like lights uh, in a perverse generation. Um, We are reminded that um, God is not only calling us to shine, but God's the one who's making us shiny. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you were had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's from 1 Peter chapter 2. What does it mean? What does it look like to go be shiny today, not just as individuals, but as a radiant church? Radiant Church is the title of the book. The author is here with me, Tara Beth Leach. That conversation up next. This is Max Lakeda. We are weary. 
weary from relationships that don't work, or careers that don't satisfy, or bodies that refuse to heal, weary from too many trips to the cemetery, therapist, or happy hours that are anything but. Our shoulders slump, our eyelids droop. We are tired, a tired generation. Blame it on the reach for the moon work ethic. We saddle up the horse called go get them and do exactly that. Blame our weariness on the internet revolution. We're never unplugged. Blame our exhaustion on a peculiar pride we have in margin-less living. We're proud of our long hours and late flights. The consequence? A society of exhaustion. Are you among them? You don't have to be. Jesus has an invitation for you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Max Lucado. All right, if you listen frequently, then you know that I am a person who appreciates people who are shiny, the people who are out there shining forth the light of the gospel, um, who are literally um, uh, illuminating not only uh, the space around them, but seeking to illuminate the path before each and all of us as members of the body of Christ in the world today. Um, uh, Tara Beth Leach is one of those shiny people, and she joins us today to talk about her new book, Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness. Um, is it Tara or Tara Beth? What's your preference? And welcome yeah, to hi. Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thank you hi. so much for having me. Yeah, it's Tara Beth, though, you know, I get called many things, Tara, TB. So, <laughs> Mom. But yeah, formally we go by Tara Beth. Yeah. So you also get called mom. Um, I want to set uh, set our conversation a little bit in context for those who are listening and may not know yeah. you. Um, I will describe uh, Tara Beth as a mom, a wife, uh, a, a person who has a real heart for the church, a student of the scriptures, um, and a pastor. And so for those of you who are a part of the Oak Brook uh, Church out there in the western suburbs of Chicago, or those of you who are a part of, uh, am I going to pronounce this uh, correctly, Paznaz? Yeah, Paznaz, Pasadena, yeah. California. Yeah. So those are churches um, uh, that have been and, and continue to be at the heart of uh, Tara Beth's ministry. Talk with us about meeting um, in the throne room or meeting on the Mountain of Transfiguration or meeting with one another as we walk together as a provisional demonstration of the kingdom here and now. Talk talk with us about light. Yeah. So... Light is at the heart of the narrative of Scripture for the call for the people of God. Uh, you know, in God's covenant uh, with Israel, God called them to be a holy people, a city on a hill, a holy nation. And so since the beginning, when God began to call a people, a covenant people, he was calling them to stand in stark contrast um, and an alternative contrast to stand out from the world in such a way uh, that the world would take notice of the way the people of God are living, that they would be drawn in, um, that they would be able to look at the ways that the people of God are gathering and say, oh, is that what God is like? 
And today that call remains for the church. Now the people of God in Christ, these floodgates have been open and Gentile and Jew, male, female, free, slave, Greek, um, we are all equal at one table. And this call remains that in the power of Christ and the power of the spirit, we are to be a living alternative to the world. Uh, to be in stark contrast, to be a radiant light in such a way that the world would be able to take notice and say, oh, is that what Jesus is like? All right. When you say, hey, the world um, you know, looks at the people of God and asks, is that what God is like? Um, I will tell you that my first response is like to, to cringe and mm-hmm. to recognize that in so many ways yep. when when the world looks at and I'll say the church, and I'm going to you know, use that as a, a, a big comprehensive category yes. for those of you who are listening. When the world looks at the church, um, they don't often see what God is like. They, they in fact, see a, a gross misrepresenta- misrepresentation of what God is like. Talk with us about credibility and the credibility of our witness uh, in the world yeah. today. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. That is exactly um, what began the process of writing this book. It began with just a profound burden that we were falling short. And of course, we all fall short, but we are missing out on this incredible grand call that we have that is all about the mission of God, um, to live in such a way that the world would see what God is like. And we are a diminished version of that. Um, our witness is diminished, our light is dim, and we see it everywhere. I mean, anyone who's listening right now has a family member or a friend that will say something along the lines of, ah, I don't know, church is just, you know, it's full of a lot of hypocrites, or, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious, or I just, I can't do the whole church thing. And a lot of that, and especially in my circles, a lot of young Gen Z, young millennials, um, they're looking at the church and they're scratching their head and they're saying, wow, if if that's what your God is like, then I'm out. I'm not interested. Um, our witness is diminished. So when we read the book of Acts, um, when we turn back to, you know, the stories of the early church, well, you know, to be fair, if we read the letters of Paul and we read the book of Revelation, we know that it wasn't all perfect. Um, and yet, if we read the book of Acts, we're like, God was really doing some stuff, and God's people right. were really doing some stuff uh, in the early days of the life of the church. So let me uh, tee up this question for you, Tara Beth. Are the brightest and best days of the church um, in our past, or are they in our future? Carmen, I am a prisoner of hope. And I long to see revival in my generation. I long to see a new thing and a new birthing. And so I'm just going to begin and say that I know that I I have sometimes a really um, idealist vision for the church because I love the church. I believe in the church. Why? Because I love Jesus and I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus when Jesus gives us this vision for the church. I believe Jesus when he says the gates of hell will not prevail. I believe Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he gives us this incredible vision of how we as the people of God are going to live. And I believe that this story is going somewhere. So with that being said, uh, these we are on shifting sand. Things are changing. Um, churches across America presently, 
um, majority would be in decline. Of course, there are some that are thriving and that are growing. Um, young people are leaving the church in droves. Seminaries are trying to figure out how to survive in this new day because less and less people uh, are going to seminary. And we're seeing this growing polarization and animosity. And so this is an opportunity for the church to say, you know what, perhaps the shifting sand means this is an opportunity for us to look in the mirror and instead of pointing outward and blaming culture, maybe it's time that we point the finger inward and we have some really hard conversations and we um, we name some really hard things that we've we've participated in. We confess, we lament, we repent. And Carmen, I truly believe that if we can put in the hard work and get really honest and really truthful before a loving, gracious God, and we do this hard work, as you talked about earlier, a reconciliation, this this call for unity. Um, yes, if we do this hard work, I. Tr- really believe that we can see some of the best days. Also, of course, I mean, culture is changing. And down throughout history, we see we see churches thrive the most in persecution um, and in hard times. I, I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I don't think things are going to get easier. And so I do believe that the harder things get, that is an opportunity. It's a moment for us. I believe we're standing in one of those watershed moments where we can look inward. And if we go through that process on our knees humbly, I do believe we can see some of the best days to come. Yeah, that's the connecting point for me and the conversation that we just had about refugee resettlement. I know that I have learned more about what it looks like to be um, faithful as a Christian, no matter what's happening in your cultural environment, from people who have resettled in the community where I live from, uh, you know, they happen to be Coptic Christians from Egypt, and they happen to be, uh, you know, Yazidis, and um, people who have undergone very real religious persecution in places around the world, and we have so much to learn from them. All right, Tara Beth, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask you, what does it mean to be radiant— as a person. And then I'm going to invite you to describe a radiant church. Great. Tara Beth Leach and I will be right back. The book is Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness. I want to magnify your light. I want to reflect the sun. Cut like precious diamonds. With colors by the millions. All right, continue my conversation with Tara Beth Leach. The book is Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness. You can find Tara Beth at tarabethleach.com. All right, uh, Tara Beth, what does it mean for a person to be radiant? Yeah, so I think this is one of the highest callings that we have as the people of God in Christ, to bear witness that God is good, to bear witness that God is about reconciliation, to bear witness that God cares, as you shared, for the refugee, uh, for the alien, for the orphan, uh, for the widow, for the marginalized, for the ignored, for the silenced, for the abused, to bear witness that God is for them with our hands and with our feet. But also, one of the things that I, I talk about in this book is that You know, I've observed that oftentimes the church 
throughout history roots themselves in storylines that are sometimes a distorted view of this big story that we are invited to. You know, some of these are uh, storylines like individualism. You know, this notion that I alone and an individual Christian, that this faith is about me, that it's about what I get out of it, that it's about my individual path to heaven, which again is a storyline that you just don't see in scripture. We are a people of God. We are a holy people, not just a holy person. And so when we begin to root ourselves in the storyline that it's about a holy us and not just a holy me, um, that radiance then um, just is magnified because all of a sudden when I gather together, it's not just about me, but it's about using my gifts for my brothers and my sister. It's about using my gifts to edify others. You know, sometimes um, I might show up uh, on a Sunday morning, pre-COVID, of course, uh, to gather and to worship, and I'm having a hard day, and I just am not feeling it because I'm grieving. And all of a sudden, my brothers and sisters in Christ behind me, they begin to say the words and sing the words that I'm struggling to say and sing, and I'm cur- encouraged and nourished. Uh, some of the other storylines that we have rooted ourselves in that I've observed is this this notion that the kingdom of God is going to be enacted through partisan politics. Um, whatever party line you stand in, there's I've no, I've observed, and I think this is one of the most uh, significant things that is is causing a diminished witness, um, and that is causing this polarization because we have rooted our faith in a particular political party or hyper nationalism, believing. Um, that God favors uh, one side over the other. And we see this, Carmen, on both sides. I'm not pointing the finger at just one. Um, but this belief that the kingdom of God is going to be enacted um, through through partisan politics or through um, through Congress or through a particular president. And my goodness, when when we believe this, I think that this is leading to the polarization. I think it's leading to this this vitriol that we are seeing, and it's diminishing our witness. A radiant Christian, as you know, that you set up this question, a radiant Christian believes that the kingdom of God is enacted by King Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and it doesn't mean that we don't engage in politics, but what that means is is it means that we recognize that the kingdom of God is enacted by King Jesus, by Lord, um, that Jesus is Lord, that Caesar is not, that no president is Lord, but Jesus um, is Lord. And so therefore we live in such a way that the kingdom of God is being enacted through the reign and rule of Jesus and through our lives. And again, we're bearing witness again that Jesus is Lord. We're bearing witness that the church is out in the world caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized, those who are sidelined. And we believe that that is where the kingdom of God is being enacted. And so a radiant Christian roots themselves in these storylines. Another false storyline that we've rooted ourselves in is we've been bowing down to the altar of success. Um, We look to a particular way and vision of success that is the antithesis of the kingdom. The kingdom of God flips everything upside down. And success doesn't often look like the world. And one of my concerns is I see Christians, I see individual Christians, um, I see churches, um, 
bowing down to the altar of success and power and forsaking faithfulness. And so uh, radiant Christians uh, pursue faithfulness even at the expense of worldly success. And so those are just yeah, a few I'm taking, things. No, and I'm taking notes. No, I'm taking notes. Yeah. And I made a little note there when you were talking about particularly, and I resonate with each and every one of these points, um, particularly when you're talking about the kingdom of God. I, I also think um, that there are times in which we're so certain of our own citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, and we should be, like, right? I'm, I'm confident of that. But we fail to recognize that we're also called to be ambassadors of that king and that kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, that the kingdom of right. this world is not fully the kingdom of God. Um, and and no matter what system of govern, governance I happen to be born into or under or or moved to, Jesus is still king in that place. Um, yeah. If he's king of, of, you know, enthroned in my heart. I mean, I'm still operating as a radiant person in the midst of uh, of any and every system of, of government. And no system of government is the kingdom of God because Jesus is not yet returned to make it so. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, The kingdom of God exists under the reign and rule of King Jesus and the bride of Christ, the people of God. And so our call is to be a living alternative to show the world what this kingdom of God looks like. And one of my concerns is I observe so many Christians putting their weight um, in politics and partisan politics. Um, uh, They're fighting as though they believe that the kingdom of God is enacted uh, through the way we vote alone. Yeah. yeah. And it's profoundly it concerning. It and is. That's, it is. And that's it's, where... it's, it, I think it's the wake-up call for our particular generation. It seems like every generation has one, and ours is like, oh, mm, okay. This is, yeah. uh, this is really at issue right now. We can all see it. Um, and how do we walk carefully with one another in the midst of it? Um, like you, I have brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are older than me, who— um, who do not see this as I see it and figuring yeah. out how to have those very hard conversations and do so gently with respect and, and yet sort of the right kind of admonishment I think is, is the calling today um, for, for each of us and all of us. It's hard, yeah. but it's important. Right. Right. Yeah. It is hard. It's hard. Um, I've had a lot of hard conversations with friends or with family um, who just don't see it that way. Um, and, and it's because storylines are powerful. Um, they shape us profoundly. And so all of a sudden, when you know, you've lived your whole life in a particular storyline, and you're being told that that's not the way, or that's not the storyline. Um, we often see a doubling down in protecting that storyline. Yeah. So uh, let's both be people that, you know, point to the wooing Jesus, which is definitely what you're doing, um, inviting people to you know, look to Christ who is calling us toward himself. And as we move in that direction, others will be drawn to him as well, for indeed uh, he is the light uh, and and our salvation. Um, I just, I love it. So thank you um, for joining us today, Tara Beth Leach. Thank you for the book, Radiant Church, Restoring the Credibility of Our Witness. Um, we appreciate you joining us today, casting a vision for people to go be shiny. Um, and thank you for being uh, f- being one of the shiny people out there in the world. Thanks for having me, Carmen. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. All right, friends, we'll be right back. So yesterday, one of the things that my pastor said was, meet me in the throne room. 
Meet me in the throne room. Let's go um, before the Lord together. Now, you and I both know that in order to meet one another in the throne room, um, we must meet one another at the foot of the cross. Um, The only way into the throne room is through the access that Jesus uh, wins for us by his death and resurrection. And so um, I want to meet you in the throne room. But in order to do that, you must first meet me at the foot of the cross. And we meet at the foot of the cross knowing that the Christ who died there is the same Christ with whom we stood on the mountain of transfiguration, the one who revealed the fullness of his glory there, the same Christ through whom and for whom and by whom light was spoken in the very uh, first breath of creation that in order reality might become what we know it to be. Uh, Jesus, who is the light of the world, the one John describes in the prologue of his gospel. So meet me in the throne room. Meet me first at the cross in order that we might indeed meet in the kingdom and walk together there forevermore. Right now, we walk as citizens and ambassadors of that king and that kingdom, provisionally demonstrating it in the here and now. Uh, Let's get out there and do it. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.